This was never the plan. And so we ask ourselves, well, what is the plan? The gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. You know, Romans puts it a different way. Romans chapter 1, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also that is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It says the gospel, God's plan, his gift, Literally, it's the power. It's the power to live a new life. It creates in us a new life. First Peter chapter 1. It says, having purified our souls or your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. You know, see how Paul and both Peter understand Jesus and this gospel, this new way of living that literally affects everything about us. You know, it's amazing about the gospel is that it can speak two things at once. I am more sinful and flawed than I ever imagined. And I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. Understanding that when we understand who we are and how broken we are, how broken is the person next to you, how broken is the person in front and behind of you, and then at the same time understand I'm loved. I'm loved deeply. The gospel destroys pride because it tells us that we are so lost that Jesus had to die for us. And it destroys fearlessness or fearfulness because it tells us that nothing we can do will exhaust his love for us. And so we're confronted with two enemies, pride and fear. These two great enemies in our life. And see, when we embrace these truths, our hearts are not merely restrained, literally they are changed. Through the gospel, through this good news, we base our identity on not what we have achieved, but what has been achieved for us. 
See, I think sometimes, and not sometimes, I think all the times we're going to be conflicted because we're going to be challenged to live moral, religious lives. Moral, religious behavior. And what that is, it's a fear of the consequence of sin. It's to change because we want to escape punishment. Or to win self-respect or win salvation. Learning to be moral to serve ourselves. Not because of the good news of Jesus. Not because of his love. Not because he loves us and cares for us. It's we know we ought to. So how does the gospel shape us? What has to happen for us to understand? In this show, we have a guy that, that he's committed adultery, involved in pornography. And he gets to the final point that he understands how broken he is. And up to that point, he wasn't shaped by the gospel. So how can we be shaped by the gospel? Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God, the love of God, the good news, the gospel literally trains us. The NIV says it a little bit differently. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us. How does the gospel teach us? How does the gospel train us? And see, if you want to live a true change, to live a self-controlled, upright, godly life, you must let the gospel train you. So how does the gospel train us? Well, the Greek word here, entrain, literally means, well, to teach in Greek, literally means to train, to discipline, to coach over a period of time. Literally, in other words, you must allow the gospel to argue with yourself. You literally must allow the gospel to sink in deep down until it changes, it confronts, and then changes your view and the structures of your motivation. You must be trained and disciplined by God's grace, by his love, by his gospel? If we want the gospel to train us, we've got to start taking counterintuitive steps. The world says, 
But this is what Jesus says. I say, but Jesus says. My culture, my feeling, my work, my people say, but Jesus says this. So we got to argue. And we have to eventually see the results of allowing the gospel to teach us. So let's just conclude our lesson today with just two points, confession and forgiveness. Psalm chapter 32 says, before I confess my sins, my bones felt limp and I groaned all day long. Night and day your hand weighed heavily on me and my strength was gone as in the summer heat. So I confessed my sins and told them all to you. I said, I'll tell the Lord each one of my sins. Then you forgave me and took away my guilt. You know, again, the counterintuitive steps. Confessing and not concealing. Forgiving and not begrudging. Confessing brings healing. Confession to God brings peace. Feelings of being physically weighed down by guilt are real. Sometimes we try to partially confess a bit of the truth. Perhaps vague words, no real detail. In psychology today, in January 2015, says the partial confession actually makes the confessor feel worse than no confession at all. So what does God want in confession? The world says don't confess, or at least confess just a little bit. What does God want? Well, he wants us to confess to him. Is that it? Well, it's interesting. Two scriptures, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, Scripture calls us to confess our sins to one another. Sometimes it's going to hurt. It does require courage. There will be consequences, apologies, and the like. Do you know that confessing sin was one of the biggest accusations we had like 30 years ago? <sighs> they make people confess sin. Really? Well, the world says don't do that. The Bible is very clear. Confess your sins. But you know, honestly, I care more about the gospel. I care more about what God thinks than what you think. So I don't have a problem with being open. I don't have a problem with letting you know who I am. I know I'm broken. 
I know I sin. I know I have things in my life. I know darkness wants to come in my life. And I know I need to walk in the light. When was the last time you confessed? Other than, oh, I ate too much. <laughs> Seriously. If you're a dude, when was the last time you confessed purity issues? Just being open. Just, just any, anything from, oh, man, I struggle. I'm just thinking something I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. Do you care more what people think than what God thinks? And I'm sure the sisters, they struggle with their things. But you've been trained from infants to be open. But are you being open? Are you confessing what's in the heart? So what does God want? Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. The sacrifice we offer to God is a broken spirit, not lying, not blame-shifting, excuses, covering up. God wants us to be honest, humble, open. You know, and funny enough, we fear confession. And you probably, when you confess, won't shock me. In fact, confession is the doorway to true friendships. When women and men step up to confess, it's a victory. And honestly, those who I know the best, I trust the most. Because they're open. There's nothing about them that they're hiding. I know who they are. I know they're broken already. But now they see that they're broken. And so there's an eagerness to be open and humble. Number two, forgiveness. You know, when asked the difference between Christianity and all other world religions, C.S. Lewis replied quickly, oh, that's easy. Grace. We love grace. We love God's grace. We sing about grace. We preach about grace. And rightly so. But see, we're also called to administer God's grace. The call to forgive is far less discussed than the reassurance. And I think it's important that we understand, especially with a group like this, that bottom line, it's a cold, dangerous world. People hate. They'll hate verbally, and they'll hate physically. Do not allow yourself to believe that we live in Disneyland or Disney World. Dallas, Texas, the United States is a cold, dangerous place. Racial, tribal, caste, economically, it can go on for centuries. Hatred, coldness, the danger. You know, Christ is amazing. 
You look at Jesus in Luke 23, it says, after his betrayal, his false trial, he was beaten, spat upon, nailed on a criminal's cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. A little later, Stephen, when he's being stoned, follows Jesus' example and says in Acts chapter 7, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We see in the Old Testament, Joseph forgiving his brothers after they put him in slavery. David forgiving Saul after Saul repeatedly tried to kill him. Jesus refused to hold any grudge. He spoke clearly about forgiveness. I've always found that those who you love the most can hurt you the most. You know, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 the Lord's Prayer. And he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, do you know, make a note to yourself mentally. Do you know when you say the Lord's Prayer that you're asking God to forgive you as you have forgiven other people? <laughs> wow. Is this a promise or is it a threat? Do you forgive others? Your spouse? Your roommates? Mom, dad, siblings? Perhaps it's your children. Your coworker. The person who has said or done or sent wicked things. Jesus tells us to ask God to treat you in the same way. If you forgive your spouse, your relative, those in your Bible talk, etc., then amen. But if you cannot forgive them, then you're telling God to treat you in the same way. At work, in traffic, at church, your family, God is watching how we forgive other people. And again, the world says, don't forgive. Hold on. It's counterintuitive. No. But Jesus says, yes. It's a big deal to God how we forgive. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. If you forgive other people their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive. Literally, the Mount Everest of verses. It can be so hard to forgive. You know, how do you forgive abuse? Betrayal. Infidelity, lies, hatred. But if we don't forgive, then we won't be forgiven. And this is a challenge. Let me just state this briefly. What forgiveness is not. Because most people will hear this lesson and they'll hone in. Oh, I got to forgive everything. What is, for, what is not forgiveness? It is not justice. 
Seek peace, not justice. And there's a, there's a little twist in there because, see, if people are going to seek justice from us, that's the point. The people who hurt you may never get what they deserve. But that shouldn't prevent you from moving on with your life. Forgiveness is not letting the offense occur over and over again. We don't have to tolerate, nor should we keep ourselves open to abuse. Forgiveness is a process, not an event. It might take some work through our emotional problems before we can truly forgive. If they don't forgive, or I better I take that back, if they don't repent, we still have to forgive. Even if they never ask, we still need to forgive. It is so funny how we get caught up. Well, they haven't asked for forgiveness yet. We should memorize and repeat over and over again like head and shoulders shampoo, repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. When do you stop? It doesn't say stop. It says rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. <laughs> repeat over and over again. Forgiveness is about our attitude, not their action. Forgiveness is, is accepting the apology that was never given. Forgiveness is not always having to tell them that they're forgiven. Pierre, you're forgiven, bro. <laughs> Self-righteously announcing our gracious forgiveness to someone who perhaps has not asked to be forgiven Maybe literally manipulation to make them feel guilty. And it's also a form of pride. But if you do it, make sure you put your hands up in the form of Jesus on the cross. <laughs> Here is my nails, Pierre. Here is the wound on my side. I forgive you. Really. Forgiveness is not meaning that we forget. You know, it's normal for memories to be triggered in the future. When we find ourselves focusing on past offenses, we can learn to say, thank you, God, for this reminds me of how important forgiveness is and how much you love me. Lastly, forgiveness begins with a mental decision. The emotional part of forgiveness is finally being able to let go of the resentment. Emotional healing may or may not follow quickly after we forgive. Shaped by the gospel. Shaped by love. Shaped by God's grace. I can change some things if I'm fearful. I can change some things because I know it's what I ought to do. But I don't want my heart to be bended. I want my heart to be melted. I want to be molded to be like Jesus. Yeah. 
And it starts with being open, confessing, repenting, caring more about God than you care about what other people think or how you look. It starts with forgiving, understanding that we're all broken. In Acts chapter 20, Paul, verse 24, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want the Dallas church to learn how to love better. I want the Dallas church to know how to love the way Jesus loves. But I believe it always goes back to, do we understand the gospel? Do we understand how much we're loved and how broken and sinful we are? Do you have something that you need to confess? No, seriously. It's Thanksgiving. Most of you are surrounded by family or opportunities all week. Do you have something you need to be open about? Or do you have people that you need to forgive? You need to evaluate and think about the people that are around you that perhaps you need to forgive the way Jesus forgave you. You know, we're going to go and take and remember Jesus and his life and death through communion. And I pray that as, as we take the bread, that we'll remember the life of Christ that was given for us. That this life, this example, this gospel, this good news, this love, will motivate us and shape us because we want to be like him. And I pray that as we take the fruit of the vine, that we'll remember that his blood was shed for us because we are broken. We're loved, but we're broken. And we need that acceptance, that forgiveness that only Christ can give us. Let's go to God in prayer.